Hi, this is Steve Nellick from Cheap Astronomy. And this is Alien Biology, the case for water. This is the first of two podcasts on the possibilities of life and extraterrestrial intelligence. It's a mighty big universe with a current estimate of 100 billion galaxies with an average of 300 billion stars each, which means around 36 trillion stars in all. And in a universe this big, if something can happen once, it seems almost inevitable that it is going to happen more than once, at least somewhere in this vast expanse. So, since clearly terrestrial intelligence is possible, you'd think you could comfortably put money on it happening extraterrestrially. You've probably heard of the Drake Equation, which seeks to define the likelihood of us finding extraterrestrial intelligence within our galaxy. Essentially, the equation states that from a large population of stars, a certain number will have planets, and a certain number of those will be capable of supporting life. Then it's a question of what proportion of planets that can support life actually do, and then what proportion of those ecosystems might support the development of an intelligent species. From there, it's just a question of what proportion of those intelligent species either accidentally or deliberately broadcast a detectable signal with the consideration of whether such a signal arrives in the period in which we are capable of detecting it. That last point is important since we know the Milky Way galaxy is quite old, at least 12 billion years old, and our 5 billion year old solar system has appeared well into the second half. Could we have missed all the action already? Has the United Federation of Planets already been and gone? And everyone since left through a wormhole into a younger, parallel universe. Or if all the aliens haven't already left, are they all just holding back to see what these crazy humans are really like before they strike up a conversation? But on the other hand, we might be one of the first intelligences to emerge. You do need a few generations of star formation and supernovae to create heavier elements which we can assume are necessary for the development of a complex ecosystem, and we know it took us at least 3.5 billion years to get from early photosynthesis to landing on the moon. So maybe it does take at least 12 billion years for any intelligence to emerge within a galaxy. In any case, we do need to come up with an explanation for the apparent rarity of extraterrestrial intelligence, since, like the Fermi paradox says, If they are out there, why can't we hear them? The best answers to this seem to be, one, perhaps we shouldn't assume that broadcasting is a natural consequence of intelligence. After all, the Earth is becoming increasingly radio-quiet as we move to cable and fiber-based communication. Two, perhaps we are one of the first to emerge, or otherwise, the signals of other recently emerged intelligences haven't yet crossed the light-year distances necessary to reach us. Three, They're aliens, with a thoroughly alien perspective on life, the universe, and everything. This perspective might not include a desire to communicate with other aliens. Like us. Anyhow, let's assume they are out there, and we just haven't found them yet. 
It may seem a little Earth-centric to assume that alien biochemistries probably require liquid water, but they probably do. Given the chemical possibilities available from the most abundant elements in the universe, even an alien scientist with some exotic biochemistry would still agree that a water-based biochemistry would be the most likely type to emerge in our universe. And that alien would probably also agree that water would be the most likely foundation for a complex ecosystem from which intelligent life could emerge. Based on what we know of life and biochemistry, it seems likely that an alien biochemistry will need a solvent, like water, and one or more elemental units for its structure and function, like carbon. Solvents are important to enable chemical reactions, as well as physically transporting materials, and in both contexts, having that solvent in its liquid phase seems a necessity. We can expect that any common biochemically useful solvents are most likely to form from the most common elements in the universe, which are in order hydrogen, helium, oxygen, neon, nitrogen, carbon, silicon, magnesium, iron and sulphur. You can pretty much forget about helium and neon. Being noble gases, they are largely chemically inert and only rarely form chemical compounds, none of which obviously have the properties of a solvent. Looking at what's left, the polar solvents you could make are firstly water, H2O, then ammonia, NH3, then hydrogen sulphide, H2S, and various non-polar solvents can also be formed, notably methane, CH4. Broadly speaking, polar solvents have a weak electric charge and can dissolve most things that water can dissolve, while non-polar solvents have no charge and are more like the industrial solvents we make on Earth, for example, turpentine. Isaac Asimov, who, when he wasn't writing science fiction, was a biochemist, proposed a hypothetical biochemistry where polylipids, essentially chains of fat molecules, could substitute for proteins in a methane or other nonpolar solvent. It's been suggested that such a biochemistry could be supported on Saturn's cold moon Titan. But, nonetheless, water looks to be by far the best candidate to support a complex ecosystem elsewhere in the universe. After all, it's likely to be the most universally abundant solvent around, and it occurs in its liquid phase at a higher temperature range than any other solvent. A biochemistry should be more dynamic in a warmer environment, which has more energy available to drive biochemical reactions. And in such a dynamic environment, organisms can grow and reproduce, and hence evolve, that much faster. Water also has some useful chemical properties going for it. One, a strong surface tension, three times that of liquid ammonia, which would encourage organic compounds to collect together and perhaps encourage the development of membranes. 2. Being a polar solvent means it can form weak electrostatic bonds which, 
supports the 3D structure of proteins in Earth biochemistry. And three, it can engage in electron transport reactions, the key method of energy production, because it can donate a hydrogen ion and its corresponding electron. Now it is the case on Earth that hydrogen sulfide gas is used in electron transport reactions as well by some chemosynthetic bacteria. But as a fluid, hydrogen sulfide only exists in a temperature range of minus 90 degrees to minus 60 degrees centigrade at one atmosphere of pressure. And while we're on the subject, ammonia is only a liquid between minus 80 and minus 30 degrees centigrade, and methane is only a liquid between minus 180 and 160 degrees centigrade, at least at one atmosphere of pressure. These points make a strong case for liquid water being the most statistically likely basis for the development of a complex ecosystem elsewhere in the universe. Although other biochemistries based on other solvents are quite possible, it's likely that they will be limited to cold, low-energy environments where the rate of development of biological diversity and evolution may be very slow. The only exception to this rule might be high-pressure environments which can sustain those other solvents in their fluid phase at higher temperatures where they would otherwise be a gas at one atmosphere of pressure, the air pressure at sea level on Earth. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Nerlick from Cheap Astronomy, www.cheapastro.com. Cheap Astronomy offers an educational website putting the chemistry back into astronomy podcasting. No ads, no profit, just good science. And a big thanks to Martin for the reading and the intro. Bye!